Well, turn in your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 20. We are finishing chapter 20 of Luke this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 41 through the end of the chapter. And so as you get there, go ahead and stand. And follow along as I read. But he said to them, How can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes, who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Father, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Use it, we pray, to build faith in our hearts and to awaken to the glory of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, again, these are the last few days of Jesus' life on earth before he is crucified. And in these last few days, he has silenced the religious leaders, most recently the Sadducees, who came to question him and hopefully trick him. But he doesn't, in their silence, just kind of let them wander off or scoot off or kind of hide. He follows up with a question concerning their doctrine and their disbelief in him. I want us to see in this the love of Jesus. It is out of love, not only for these scribes, but for those who are following them, who give ear to their false teaching that he pleads with them, that he questions them. Verse 41, Jesus says to them, How can they say that the Christ is David's son? Now, up until this point, Jesus has been referred to on a few occasions as the son of David. A couple of those occasions, Luke 18, 38, where the blind beggar cries out to him, Son of David, have mercy on me. Matthew tells us in Matthew 21, 9, that as Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, the people are crying out to him. They're crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. And Jesus has accepted this term. He's accepted these praises. The question he puts forward, how can they say that the Christ is David's son, is in what sense is this true? In what sense is the Christ himself, the son of David. Jesus is asking this question to make the point that he is far greater than simply just a descendant of David or born in the lineage of David. He's making a point here. How can people say that the Christ is David's son? And he shows that even David himself speaks to this and reveals much more than mere earthly descendant. Verses 42 and 43. For David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. 
David, Jesus says, says this, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. The Lord, Yahweh, says to my Lord, Adonai, sit at my right hand. It comes from Psalm 110, verse 1. Jesus is saying this psalm proclaimed by David is about the Christ. It's a messianic psalm. So how do we make sense of this, Jesus is saying? How can, how can this be true? What he's showing is that David is saying that the Christ is not merely, not only, simply David's descendant. He's far greater than that. He is David's Lord. That's what David is saying in Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord. God the Father is saying to Christ, sit at my right hand. Now that is a, that is a picture of absolute triumph. So Jesus putting before these scribes, those who study the law and interpret the law for the people, how can this be? How can it be that the son of David... It could be said of him that he is almighty, all-powerful, that he triumphs over his enemies, that he sits at the right hand of God Almighty. Jesus says in Revelation 22, verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star, not simply in the line of David, but much more than that. And so Jesus continues questioning, David thus called him Lord, so how is he a son? How can both of these things be true? How do they work together? Paul writes concerning this in Ephesians, or in Romans, the beginning of Romans, this introduction to the church at Rome there, concerning his son who was descended From David, he's in the lineage of David, in the line of David, according to the flesh. And was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the point that Jesus is pressing with the scribes. If he truly is the Son of David, he's not simply his descendant. He's much more than that. He's the Son of God who comes to make things right again. He comes to restore all things, and He conquers, He triumphs over His enemy through His life and death and resurrection. And so Jesus here in these first few verses, questioning the scribes, is addressing their false doctrine. They studied and studied and studied and interpreted these scriptures for the people, but they were completely off base. These people are listening as Jesus speaks. These scribes should have believed in Christ as the son of David, and therefore, knowing and interpreting rightly the scriptures, they should have put their trust in him as Lord of their life. They should have proclaimed with David, he is Lord. So Jesus is addressing their false doctrine. And then he shifts in the next verses and speaks to those listening and warns them concerning the religious leaders' practice. 
Right doctrine, and this is important for us, right doctrine, when it is embraced with the heart, will result in right practice. Consider what Jesus is saying here in this text. If the religious leaders and we embrace the biblical teaching that Jesus is Lord, not simply a man, but God in the flesh who died and was raised from the dead, if we embrace that, if the scribes had embraced that, it changes the practice of our lives. It affects us practically. We live differently because of the truths that we have embraced. And so Jesus shows here their false doctrine, how the religious leaders do not truly believe, and then warns the people against their practice. Don't do as they do. He's saying they are hypocrites. He challenges them first, and then to the people is saying, They're hypocrites. And their religion is more about themselves than it is about God. And so in verses 45 and following, in the hearing of all the people, and there were many, he said to his disciples, beware of the scribes, and gives this list describing them, who like to walk around in long robes. They they liked to walk around dressed as royalty, as kings or priests. It set them apart in the people's eyes, and they loved that. They loved being seen as important. Beware of them who like to walk around in long robes, who love greetings in the marketplaces. Now, this is not simply people saying hi to them in the marketplace. They loved the respect that people gave them and the public recognition that they got as they were set apart in their appearance and in their position. And they loved that. They craved it. Beware of that, Jesus says. Those who love the best seats in the synagogues. The best seats in the synagogue were up front and facing the people. And so the scribes loved this. They could sit there and, and everyone's watching them. All eyes were on them. They loved the places of honor at feasts, Jesus says. Again, they loved being set apart from the people. Remember, Jesus has already addressed this in Luke. When you go to a banquet, don't, don't choose the place of honor. Choose a lower seat so that when the host comes in and sees you, he will will say to you, don't sit there, come up with me, sit up front with me. Jesus says the scribes, they didn't work that way. They loved the places of honor. They would put themselves in the places of honor because they loved the attention. They loved the honor that they got. They craved it. And then he says, who devour widows' houses. Widows were the least of the least, the poor, the outcast. And in some way, Jesus is saying here that these teachers of God's law were extorting from these widows who had nothing in the first place, but in some way were were getting from them what they had, maybe trying to convince them to give to them, these scribes, these religious leaders, 
money on the side. Jesus condemns them for it. And then he says, for a pretense, they make long prayers. They would go on and on and on in their prayers so that people would praise them, not God. They would talk and talk and talk and talk so that they would get attention and they would look great, not that God would receive glory and he would be seen as great. They loved the praise of men. That's Jesus' point here. So they would dress and they would walk around and sit as to say, look how important we are. Look how great we are. And they would pray and they would manipulate others so as to say, look how close we are to God. Don't you wish you were like us? We're so close to God. But Jesus reveals here that they're not close to God at all. In fact, he says the conclusion of this section, they will receive the greater condemnation. They should have known. They had the scriptures, but they studied and used the scriptures for their glory, not God's. They used their position for their glory, not God's. And therefore, Jesus says, they will be condemned. They did not submit to the Son of David as Lord of their lives. They didn't trust in Him. And they will be condemned. Now this morning, as we consider this text and what's taking place here, I want to apply it specifically to today. Today's Father's Day. If you're a father here this morning, happy Father's Day. I didn't forget. I was waiting until this point to say it. Happy Father's Day. Father's Day is something that affects all of us and affects us all differently. Some of us are fathers and we, we celebrate that. We have joy concerning that. Some of us here may be fathers and we, we hurt over that. Some of us approach Father's Day and we're hurting because of our fathers. But I want to look at this text in light of Father's Day. Speaking to fathers and also everyone else. We are prone, whether we're fathers or daughters or sons or mothers, whoever we are, we're prone to the sins of the scribes. We're prone to not trusting Christ as Lord of our lives in the practical parts of our lives. We sing songs. We read the Bible. When it, when it comes to religious things, we know the doctrine. It's in there. But in the daily struggles, whether it's parenting or at work or whatever, are we living practically trusting in the Lord with all of our hearts? Are we like the scribes, stealing from him the glory that is rightfully his? And so let me encourage you first, specifically as fathers this morning. 
Fathers, don't be like these scribes who desire the place of honor wherever they go, who treat others spitefully and sit in places where they expect to be served, expect to be submitted to. Jesus could have very easily, it wouldn't have fit in the context, but he very easily could have said, beware of the fathers who like to walk around and love greetings and the best seats and all of those things. What Jesus is clearly showing in verses 41 through 44 is that there is only one, one and only one who is seated at the right hand of God and worthy of that position. And the glory and honor and praise and submission and all of the things that are attached to that position. Only one. And it's Jesus. He's the one who is worthy to be served. He's the one to whom all should joyfully submit because he is deserving of that submission. And you and I are not. I'm not deserving of that. We are not deserving of that. As a father, submit to Christ. Use your position of authority in the home as an opportunity to point to Christ and bring Him honor to teach your children that Jesus is far greater than you are and that you joyfully submit to Him as well. Because He reigns. Because He is seated gloriously at the right hand of the Father. It's far too often that we fall into the temptation of entitlement as fathers and husbands coming home, getting to sit at the head of the table, sitting in the recliner at the right hand of the remote control, and all with the mentality of entitlement, all with the mentality of, I deserve this, I've earned this. I've worked hard all day and now it's time to quit. And now it's time to be served. Now it's time to be submitted to. We have this mindset that we deserve for those in the home to submit to us, to serve us, to glorify and honor us. And it, it is true. It is true that scripture admonishes children to obey their parents and honor their father and mother. It's true even that Scripture admonishes wives to submit to their husbands. Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 24. But not because I'm worthy of that. We're not deserving of those things. Christ is deserving. He is worthy. In fact, the role of the wife in Ephesians 5, 22, to submit to the husband is as to the Lord. Not submit to your own husbands because they deserve it. Because they're worthy of it. Because they're better than you. It doesn't, fathers, it doesn't say that. It's as to the Lord, purposefully to display how worthy Christ is. Not the worth of me. The admonition in Ephesians 6 and in other places for children to obey and honor their parents is a means of readying them to obey and honor Christ. Not because I'm worth it and I have ultimate authority. 
not because fathers are deserving. And so the question for us, as we consider the worth of Christ, ought to be, how did Christ live out this place of authority for us that we might follow him as people in positions of authority in our home? And the answer is clear in Scripture. We could look at God the Father who willingly sent His Son on behalf of us. We could look at Christ who came, though worthy, though all-powerful, as the one who triumphs over all things, And humbled himself. He laid down his life for those he loves. He sacrificed himself for the sake of his children. The one who deserves honor. The one who deserves glory. The one who deserves all praise. Humbled himself. And here in the text warns us against not humbling ourselves. That's what he's saying to these scribes. You have this position of authority. Don't be like them because they don't humble themselves. Don't follow them in that. Humble yourselves. Just as Christ, who is worthy of all glory, humbled himself. The only one who is entitled to walk around getting the greetings, receiving the honor, sitting in a place of honor in just two days is going to wrap a towel around his waist and wash the feet of his disciples. And he warns us to do the same. Don't be like the scribes. Fathers, be like him. Be like Christ. Don't be like the hypocritical scribes. Praying long prayers and dressing the part of religious leader in your home doesn't mean that your heart is right. Give praise to God. Embrace Christ as the Lord of your life and your home and fight the temptation of self-worth or entitlement by giving glory to Him and by trusting in Him. That's for you fathers, for me as a father. For those of us who have fathers... If you're in the room and you're a child, I'll speak to you first. I'm going to refer to you as a child if you are under the age of 18. If you're a child, honor your father as you obey him. Because this is right in the Lord. In other words, because Christ is worthy, obey your father. Because Jesus is on the throne and glorious and deserving of your life as a child and your praise as a child, honor and obey your father. Because God tells you to. Not because your dad is worthy. Your dad is a sinner. Alden and Leif and Sam and Silas and Judah are going to have books and books and books if they choose to recount the number of times that I have sinned against them. They're not called to obey me and honor me because I'm deserving. I am not deserving of it, but Christ is. He's glorious, and as a father and as a savior who never fails, then children obey 
out of submission to Jesus. As adults, if you're here, let me encourage you, honor your father today and always. We're commanded to do that. Because you honor Jesus, honor your father. For some that may begin today with forgiveness. Honoring your father by forgiving. We prayed earlier for Emmanuel, AME Church. I don't know if you've seen the video of those families whose relatives were killed by this man speaking to him in the first hearing. And again and again and again, because of Jesus, through tears and brokenness, I forgive you. I forgive you. Hope shines. Gospel shines through darkness. Whatever your relationship with your father is, has been, was, the gospel shines brightly in the darkness. And when we obey Christ and come forward and say, I forgive you, even through tears, even through weeping, even through brokenness, even through difficulty, I forgive you. The gospel shines brightly. For some of you, it means forgiveness. For some of you, it means thankfulness. Being thankful. Again, as we see in the text, Jesus is Lord of everything. Paul writes to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 1. In his prayer and hoping that they would know all that they have in Christ and picking up in verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ presently is alive and reigns. And that is hopeful for us. As I've considered the text for me personally, I am a person who my career, my job, my joy in life is that I study the scriptures and teach the word of God. My fear in life is that that communicates into scribe and hypocrisy. That all of it goes into my head and out my mouth and not embraced in my heart. And as people who love Jesus and who look to him who is seated on the throne, we must approach him in submission, embracing the truth. He reigns. As Paul writes this, this is Christ. This is the only one worthy of honor and worship. And I would ask you, are you surrendering to him as that? The scribes knew the scriptures, but they didn't embrace the scriptures or the truth of the scriptures. They didn't embrace the word made flesh. Is that true of you? 
Are you entrusting in Him as Lord? If you don't know Him, or if you're here this morning and you hear the Word and you know that there are things that you need to repent of, I would encourage you to go to the prayer room. Pete and Karen Hewling will be there. They would love to meet you and pray with you there. I would, I would encourage you, I would even plead with you, believe in Him today. If you know a lot of things about the Bible and about God, but you don't embrace Him, you don't embrace Jesus, you don't trust Him, if that's true of us, then we're no different than the scribes. And Jesus says, they will receive the greater condemnation. Submit to Him and trust in Him today. For all of us who are here, I would encourage you to consider this, Father's Mothers, single people, children, does Christ reign in your home? Or do you reign in your home? Or seek to reign in your home? Even children can answer that. Even children struggle with reigning in their home, the desire to reign in their home. We all do. Does Christ reign in your home? We all try to take the place of Jesus, but he's worthy of all honor and all glory and all praise. And today I would encourage you to readjust your thinking as you consider the one who is seated at the right hand of the Father and the warnings against hypocrisy. Submit to Him. As we go into a time where we take the Lord's Supper, we consider Christ seated at the right hand of the Father. Christ is seated there having accomplished all that the Father sent Him to accomplish. The climax of his work was the resurrection. He was crucified. He was treated as if he had committed all of the sins of those who would trust in him. All of those who would call on his name. His body being broken. His blood being poured out. All for the forgiveness of our sins. And he was raised from the dead. Giving us hope of justification giving us hope of life in Him, giving us hope of joy for all of eternity. And we rejoice in those truths as the body of Christ. We don't just give verbal assent. We just don't sing songs about them. We don't just half-heartedly take a piece of bread and drink from a cup. We joyfully embrace these truths and trust in Him as we do that. That's how we approach the Lord's Supper. And so I want to encourage you, let's prepare our hearts. We're going to sing together. If you would like to pray with someone as we sing, go ahead and go out to the prayer room. It's in the back of the lobby there. But let's prepare our hearts trusting in him who's worthy of all honor and glory and praise. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for your goodness and grace. Thank you that you are merciful. Thank you that you're patient with us. Thank you that because of Jesus, we are safe in your arms, that there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Even though we struggle with this temptation of entitlement and and seeking the glory that is due you, even though we try to steal your glory, you're patient with us and you're forgiving. And it's all because of Jesus. And so we want to fix our hearts on Christ as Lord of our lives. We want to trust in you, Lord. We want to submit to you. We want to 
confess our sins to you, knowing that you are faithful and just and forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So help us even in this time and be glorified in our hearts. I pray for the fathers who are here in this room, Lord. You know our hearts. We are prone, Lord, to a sense of entitlement that leads to laziness, that leads to pride. Father, forgive us and help us to display you in our homes, to to display the one who's worthy of all glory and yet lay down his life for his children. Help us to point those in our homes and those in our neighborhoods to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.